You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash missionlog50 and use code missionlog50, that's 5-0, to get 50% off your first box. That's code missionlog50 at factormeals.com slash missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 495, Fortunate Son. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we strip away the outer layers of Star Trek, getting down to the molecular level, examining each episode for morals, meanings, and messages, and asking ourselves whether it stands the test of time. This week, Harry Kim, we've got some good news and some bad news for you. The good news, there are beautiful women throwing themselves at you. The bad news, they're aliens who have manipulated your DNA and will kill you in the process. And that's how our favorite ensign becomes their favorite son, the title of this week's show. We'll have trivia in a moment, but first, a word on how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here's John Champion with this week's favorite trivia. <laughs> it's, it's everybody's favorite trivia. It's trivia for favorite son, and we have an episode written by Lisa Klink. And not to spoil the plot too early, but it's interesting to note that there was some discussion about making Harry Kim actually stay an alien spots and everything through to the end so yes this is a script that went through a few changes before we got the final product it was directed by marvin rush and you already know he's one of my favorite directors of photography in the biz and every now and then he sits in the director's chair too prior to this episode marvin directed the season two episode thaw and this marks the last of his directorial work on voyager and let's meet our guest stars. There are a lot of them. We do have a few returning guest stars. Most notably, there's Deborah May as Lyris. And we discussed her long and varied career back in season two of DS9 when she appeared in the episode Sanctuary. Then there's the Nasari captain named Albin, played by Christopher Carroll, who we also met back on DS9 when he was a Cardassian in the third season episode Second Skin. Now let's meet some of the newcomers. Harry Kim's mom, kinda, in a vision, is played by Irene Sue. And if you don't know her name, let me tell you that Irene is an absolute legend. Irene was born in Shanghai, grew up partially in Hong Kong, and then moved with her family to New York when she was 12. 
Studying theater and dance, she landed roles in a string of movies, including Flower Drum Song, when she was still in her teen years. Many features and TV appearances followed. You'll see her in some of my favorites, like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible, Wonder Woman, and Gene Roddenberry's show, The Lieutenant. On the big screen, she shows up in Airport 75, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, and the 1965 comedy How to Stuff a Wild Bikini, to name just a very few. There's Taman, the only other guy on Teresia, played by Patrick Fabian. Patrick is very recognizable from recurring series work, including Working Class, Big Love, Veronica Mars, and a long run on Better Call Saul. And yes, even Saved by the Bell, The College Years, again to name a few. Patrick got his start on the stage in his home state of Pennsylvania, and he gained further recognition for stage work when he moved to California and started appearing with the California Shakespeare Festival. He tends to show up everywhere more than once, but not here. This is his only track credit thus far. Also on Teresia, we meet Rena, played by Kelly Kirkland, and she's had recurring roles on Grey's Anatomy as well. In addition to other shows like Ray Donovan and Bosch, Kelly also takes a turn with comedy with roles in shows like Workaholics, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Superstore. Elian is played by Carrie Shane, and one of her earlier breakout roles was recurring on General Hospital, which then led to a recurring role on Party of Five. Carrie left acting for 11 years to work as a high-risk obstetrics nurse at USC, then returned to acting and currently appears on the streaming series The Bay. And finally, Mila is a relatively early role in the career of a model and actress who would headline a major franchise film just a few years later. That's Kristana Locken, who went from a handful of TV guest roles on prominent shows to being the antagonist in Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines as the TX model who has to do battle with Arnold Schwarzenegger's T-800. Kristana continues to work in both TV and film, taking turns with comedy in series like Key and Peel and Acme Saturday Night, and she is no stranger to leading roles, again in projects like Blood Rain and the series Painkiller Jane. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. Has someone resequenced your DNA without your permission? You may be entitled to financial compensation. Prologue. Somewhere in the Delta Quadrant, Harry Kim has a little deja vu as Voyager passes a trinary star system. Soon, they are hailed by the friendly captain of an Asari vessel, welcoming them to the area. But Harry has a strange reaction. He announces that the other ship is preparing to fire, though they haven't, and proceeds to lock phasers, raise shields, and fire. Act 1. Naturally, the Nasari fight back, and Harry Kim is relieved from duty while Voyager takes a major beating. Even Bellana is badly hurt with an explosion in engineering. When Voyager does manage to get the upper hand, driving the Nasari away, Janeway confronts Harry about his hunch, for which he has no justification and nearly got them all killed. Even Tuvok says the Tetrion surge from the Nasari ship could have been anything, not necessarily weapons. 
Harry is escorted to sickbay to look after the wound he sustained in the short battle. Down there, Bellana is in rough shape and barely pulls through with the efforts of Kess and the EMH. Harry is feeling guilty. His rash decision endangered his friends, but Kess says what's done is done. Later that night, the ensign has restless sleep, replaying the incidents in his mind, dreaming of his own mother relieving him from duty, intermixed with visions of an alien planet. When he awakens and looks in the mirror, Harry's face is mottled with a strange rash. Act 2. He's not contagious, so says the EMH, but there's also not a lot to go on. Harry says he had Mendoc and Pox when he was a kid, something that showed up in his dream. Maybe this is related? Maybe the dream was jumping to a conclusion about the onset of recurrent symptoms. In any case, what's odd is that Harry's blood chemistry is also slightly altered. One more mystery for the doctor to solve. Bellana is conscious, and Harry expresses his relief, stopping just short of the part where his actions caused the accident. He doesn't stop short of a full apology to Janeway, though, saying that he's ready to face the consequences. Janeway has news for him. The Nasari ship was powering weapons, after all. And now the real mystery is how Harry's hunch was so accurate and so timely. Now, Harry has a new bit of intuition. As three more Nasari vessels close in on Voyager, he suggests taking refuge in a nearby planetary system. With no way to fight, Janeway agrees to Harry's plan. Voyager approaches a planet, one Harry immediately recognizes from his dream, and he blurts out, Teresia. As if on cue, a Teresian ship emerges and fires on the Nasari, shooing them away. Then its captain hails Voyager and welcomes Harry Kim home. Act 3. The Teresians are very welcoming, and very young, and very uninhibited. There's only one man among them, and many of the young women flock to Harry. Their leader, Lyris, tries to explain. Harry is one of them because generations ago, he was conceived there, put into stasis, and as an embryo implanted into a human mother. He was raised as human with some human DNA to boot, but now his Teresian DNA has expressed itself and brought him home. Bit by bit, Harry is realizing that these genetic expressions are encoded with knowledge of Teresian communication and motivations. It was his presence on Voyager that made it a target for the Nasari and his encoding that made him react. With him off the ship, it's not likely that the Nasari will attack Voyager again. Harry is welcome and encouraged to stay for a while, and so is Voyager, where the rest of the crew return safely in orbit of Teresia. On board, the EMH confirms most of what Lyris has said. Harry has a lot of Teresian DNA in him. Once the genes were recessive, now they're becoming more dominant. And on a more sophisticated level than human genes, they carry along certain information about the Teresians. So that leaves Janeway with the dual concern of whether Harry will want to leave and whether the Nasari will attack once he's on board. Since he's not, perhaps they can contact the Nasari now to make a truce. And as for Harry, he's surrounded by some of the young women of Teresia catering to him while he listens to a story from the only other male around, a young guy named Tamon, who has a similar story. 
He was born elsewhere, but then something drew him to Teresia. And now that he's here, he's totally acclimated to the local customs, like picking three women to be his wives. The first is Malia, and she invites Harry to their wedding to be held later that night. In the meantime, Taman encourages Harry to indulge himself with a massage from Elian while he ponders just how long to stay. Voyager has opened up comms with the Nasari, and it's much more friendly now. The Nasari captain assures Janeway that there is no more reason for hostility because they shouldn't expect to see Harry ever again. Nobody ever leaves Teresia, or at least that's the rumor. There may be some truth to the rumor. As Voyager approaches Teresia this time, a satellite Polaron grid has been activated, effectively blocking Voyager from getting anyone or even a message in or out. Act 4. Time for the old traditional Teresian wedding. Harry automatically knows what to do with the genetic programming, and this ceremony has everything candles crystal gongs face paint giant number two pencils it even has the groom blindfold you know it's that thing where the groom gets blindfolded as a symbol that he's no longer looking for a mate once it's over harry tries to call voyager but he can't get through lyra says not to worry maybe it was taking janeway longer to negotiate with the nasari Cut to Janeway and Chakotay on Voyager discussing how to punch through that Teresian security grid. That's when the EMH has some news for them both. Upon further research, the whole Teresian story about Harry and his genetic makeup is a lie. True, he has Teresian DNA, and it is expressing faster and faster, but he picked it up very recently, hidden as a virus on an away mission. So the Teresians are making it more and more difficult for him to leave, all the while he's becoming more like them. Why? Back on the surface, Harry gets tucked in for the night by Elian. She's doing her best to get him completely relaxed, but when she's gone, his dreams are restless again. There's the pull between the pleasures of Teresia and the bond he has with his crew— when he imagines himself blindfolded the way Taman was, he suddenly wakes up to find both Elian and Rina in bed with him. They are very insistent that he should marry them both over Harry's protest. So he seizes the opportunity by pretending that he's interested, especially in that blindfold binding ritual, which gives him the perfect opportunity to secure Elian to a chair and then knock Rinna out with a heavy glass objet d'art. Now it's on to find Taman to hear what he has to say about all this. Taman isn't saying much, though, because he is quite dead. Act 5. Poor Taman, just a desiccated, blindfolded corpse in his bed. In comes Malia, and Harry surprises her, demanding an explanation. She says that her people need to denucleate a lot of cells to keep their species going, and they look everywhere for a suitable DNA match that can be transformed just as they are with Harry. In walk two more Teresians, but Harry escapes, determined to find a way to contact Voyager. And fortunately, Voyager's crew are on the same page, making their way back to Teresia to punch a hole in that security grid and beam Harry out. Just as they do, a Teresian ship is deployed to stop them. 
Harry has his hands full, getting a beat down from the women of Teresia and their giant number two pencil staffs. When it looks like they have the upper hand, he is beamed out by Voyager just in the nick of time. As Voyager tries to escape, three Nasari ships close in, perfect timing to take on the Teresian ship and give cover to Voyager's escape. Later, when Harry is back to himself, genetically and otherwise, he sits in the mess hall and tells Neelix and Tom of the story of Odysseus's encounter with the Sirens. He was in a similar situation with the Teresians, and it wasn't just the women. It was the appeal of a new identity, the confidence that came along with it. He even says that he wanted to be more like Tom since they met, and it's Tom who says that he wanted to be more like Harry. The end. That was a fantastic recap, John. And I know uh, that... Stop. No, I mean, <laughs> you're our favorite recapper. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's all I really have to say before we jump into <laughs> observations, because I, I wanted to make sure that people understood just how difficult it is to navigate through all of the naming conventions that we have in this episode. It's like, you know, you, you practically have to have a, a genetic infusion to be able to keep the uh, Teresians and Nasari clear in your head. You just, know? just to it's be clear, only, you needed yeah. to denucleate the names. I needed to denucleate yeah. pretty much in yeah. order to get through it. Yeah, <laughs> Right at the top, uh, I love how Tuvok makes deja vu sound terrible. Like, leave it to him to just take this very interesting, fun thing and just make it sound awful. And Jane has to step in like, oh, cool, it's deja vu. <laughs> Way to go. Tuvok says mm. early that he says, uh, tactical control has been moved to the op station. Our weapon systems are charging. Is this a thing? <laughs> I guess it is now. Yeah. Because the way I see it, so Tuvok and Harry are separated by two separate stations, and there's a, yeah. a long L cars panel manned by other people. So Tuvok's right. security station is all yeah. of a sudden rerouted by Harry, Ensign Harry Kim, to his yeah. station and fires without orders on another ship. Yeah. How do those controls work if he is a op station and Tuvok is a security station? Yeah. Well, I, I feel like on the one hand, the interesting thing about L cars is it can constantly be reconfigured. Like any station on the bridge could be whatever station you want it to be, but it also sounds like a really bad idea that <laughs> there wouldn't be some kind of a, a control to do that because, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you know what, people that know uh, I'm the security officer now. No, I am. No, I've got my finger on the trigger. No, right. I do. Yeah, like that's, that, that's not good. No one should ever be able to abscond with the big red button. No. But uh, that whole sequence, I feel like really good action right up top. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of moving camera and uh, and just uh, kind of an intensity to all of that. Yeah, I, I like the effects. I like just the, the way it was blocked. Um, it, it set mm. the tone right, you know, for that sequence. Yeah. Uh, but here's the other thing that just kind of like it, it pops up every once in a while. When security officers have to take main characters off the bridge. I mean, we're all under the impression that this is real. You know, yeah. or the stories are, you know, uh, they're the in-universe real. So Harry would know, like, everybody. And he likes being yeah. liked. It must right. be tough for a security guard to take somebody away off the bridge. Right? Yeah. you're like, hey, hey, Phil, how you doing? Uh, dude, I got yeah. to take you off the bridge. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I know. It's like, yeah. don't, it's like, it's not my fault. I don't want to do it. I'm ordered to do it. And it's like, no, I get yeah. it. It's my fault. Don't, don't, don't feel bad about it. And then now I got to take you to sick bay, and I got to wait for you, and I got to take you to the bridge after that. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
But you know what? It's not hard for other people on the bridge to object to security taking somebody away because, you know, look at Tuvix. It's an interesting little pep talk that Kess has with Harry. You can't undo what's been done. Like, you're absolutely right, Kess. You are 100% correct. But that is a weird kind of feel-good thing to say. Like, Like, she's right. But he did seriously act out of line, open fire, and nearly got a crewmate killed. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, that, that's I, – I feel like it's maybe a little too soon for the what's done is done. Don't worry about it. I just wanted to interject with the casting yeah. because since she only has a limited lifespan, I'm wondering if yeah. she – I'm wondering if like the Ocampa themselves are just like, you know what? What's done in the past is done. Got to move forward because I only got nine years left. Yeah, you know, and, and what's, what's in the past is literally like 30 seconds ago. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe that's it. Time is compressed because <laughs> they live <laughs> such a short lifespan. In Harry's room, I love that we have a space sink. Totally. That is great. Right. That is a great prop. But what were those little ice balls or crystals in the sink? Is that like the 24th century version of, say, ice in the men's room stalls? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Are they air fresheners? Could be, could be. Well, it it makes it spacey, so it's a space <laughs> thing, you know. I do wonder, and we may mention it again later, but the the rash it, is it a little too trill like? Mm. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah it's like trill yeah. on a budget. Yeah, right. right. Okay, so I've mentioned this before, and I really do think that there was a really nice trajectory with Harry and Bellana just on their on-screen chemistry. Every time they come together, and it may be just Roxanne and, and Garrett having natural chemistry, they always seem right with each other. They always seem like their mm. characters just belong with each other. I don't get that from mm. Tom. I know what's going to happen, folks, so no emails, please. But I know that yeah. when we first saw Tom and Bellana together in Blood Fever, it just wasn't quite there. But every mm. single time I see Harry and Bellana together, I'm like, ah. She bring, or he rather brings out a kind of sweetness in her. Yeah, that's nice to see. That goes yeah. all the way back to caretaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I loved when Harry is describing his reaction. Uh, he's full of suspicion and loathing, and <laughs> just thought like like that. That's not a good reason for taking action. You know that 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 might be reason for more suspicion, which you then have to back up. But then Janeway just gives him the get out of jail free card. Like, oh, guess what? You were right. They were charging weapons. But like, does that mean the next time he's filled with suspicion and loathing? Well, he was right that one time. So let's him be suspicious and full of loathing. It's about precedent, I guess. It is right? maybe. But it was. I thought it was weird when when Harry left sick bay and then Bellana made a big thing about like what happened to your face you know Janeway was all like <laughs> oh you're you're exonerated from your you know your decision making not yeah. like oh also what happened to your face not like he was you know a zit <laughs> right. or something right I mean, he had a giant yeah. rash well he mm-hmm. had a, a a budget trill rash on his face mm-hmm. so. so Chakotay says to Harry what's your next trick Harry pull a shuttlecraft out of a hat is that too soon you know they could use it 
Yeah. We could use one for sure. Yeah. Man, something about these aliens, and there's a lot to say about the <laughs> aliens on Teresa. But it's been a long time since we've had aliens who were just kind of like touchy-feely and walking around in loose robes. Like maybe they should go meet the folks on the pleasure planet. I'm I'm creating a whole series of connections in the Delta Quadrant. Okay? And I think it all goes back to the pleasure planet. All right. So for your Monty Python fans out there, were you – I mean, was anyone else getting kind of like a – you know, Sir Galahad, Zoot, Dingo vibe going on. Because <laughs> I was waiting for a Grail-like beacon to show up sometime, you know, yeah, down there on the planet. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of rubbing and caressing going on, like almost uncomfortably so down yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. The, the direction there, and I, I don't know, like, is it on the page? Or does Marvin Rush just come in and say, like, everybody just kind of, like, stroke each other's arms and chest <laughs> like do, do that <laughs> here's, here's some business for you yeah yeah, yeah. best know. best episode ever for some actors right so. yeah right <laughs> yeah if your name is garrett wong exactly. right exactly mm-hmm. and of course uh tom loving to be the center of attention he's like is this the standard welcome home reception because <laughs> i'd like to be you know as a dignitary for this ship yeah. welcome yeah. this way Can I leave and come back like over and over again? (laughs) So we're talking about the trail on a budget look, and it it does look like trail on a budget. But did you notice when you look at that and you look at the inscriptions that they had on the wall, the writing for the Teresians, I thought it kind of looked like chromosomes. Oh, interesting. Did did you pick that up at all? Uh, That's, yeah. No, but that's interesting. I'll have to take a look at mm -hmm. that because if that were the case – that makes uh, – I think it makes a better argument for that style of makeup. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I do also have this note here that uh, uh, Tuvok, he says, perhaps in the sari would be more open to p- diplomacy if uh, Kim were not aboard. And it is – to me, that's like <laughs> Tuvok just subtly making the case that they should just leave Harry Kim behind. <laughs> like, see ya. Uh, hey, hey, Janeway, if we want to get out of this, uh, maybe we should just consider a life without Harry Kim because, wow, they really hate him. We should uh, we should get away. Tuvok has had his issues with Harry in the past. It, there may have been something subliminal there. Yeah, it could be. Could yeah. be. Also, we learned the, uh, the, the format of marriage that they have with the three wives, that being very complicated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even more complicated, when we meet Tamon, even when we get to know him a little bit, did he just feel to you like a bad guy from an 80s teen movie? Yeah. Did he just kind of have that vibe? I think it was bit? the hair. I think it was the hair. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, his hair just looked too yeah. good. He was like, yeah. he, was the, he was the high school bully that got all the girls. Yep. That's totally him. Maybe, you know what, maybe that explains a little bit why Harry, then he feels like he's on the same level. Like, now I'm the cool guy in high school, just like Chad over here is going to (laughs) go skiing later, you know? Space (laughs) space Chad. Uh, Space Chad, yeah. The the line, this uniform seems so restrictive. (laughs) I pretty much scratched my entire paragraph of notes after I put this down as an observation. Yeah. Because it's just so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> But at the same time, though, it does telegraph the motives of the aliens on this planet, the Teresians, because I'm like, oh, absolutely. Wow. Like, insert musical cue here, if you know what I yeah. mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I am fully waiting for you or somebody else to, to uh, cosplay that uh, deep V-neck tunic that Harry has. Oh, yeah. That definitely needs to make a comeback. Oh, that's absolutely noted. I, I, I want to do it. It looked comfortable. 
Oh yeah, uh, totally. You know, Certainly less restrictive. Yeah, and um, yeah, it didn't it didn't seem so restrictive. So again, enter music cue here specifically yeah. Yeah. for that. Also, is it standard in any quadrant of space that you visit to have the same functionality and shape of candles? Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay, uh, all right. Uh, candles are a universal constant. I guess. Candles, candle holders. Yeah, you know, matches yeah. or things that light candles, things like that. Okay. Hey, I thought it was nice to have a call back to a specific moment in Voyager history because we, you know, we mentioned the uh, the away mission to go get Virilium. So it was kind of nice to know, like, oh, okay, we haven't totally forgotten that things happen that also happen in the series that might connect a couple of stories. Sure. So that that worked well, I thought, and also just you know slow golf clap for Garrett that you got to kiss every woman working on the show that week. So good for you. He did, but he did. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like, and maybe this is the direction. It's like he didn't in, I'm not saying an actress enjoy, but he didn't sell it. Yeah. You know, right. Well, so, we, we just have to believe that little bit of doubt in his mind, but yeah, he's, he's just not enjoying this at all. So he was dreaming about mm-hmm. two women yeah, and woke up, with the same two women wearing the yeah. exact same clothes, doing the exact same thing. So how it's like, it wasn't really a dream dream. It was mm. what, yeah. strange. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a waking dream, a lucid dream, or maybe he was incorporating that into the dream. Right. Interesting. But then he wakes up and, and he sort of, you know, he has this idea of a little subterfuge to throw them off. Like, I'm going to go along with your little game for a minute and then I'm going to tie you up. I, I'm going to say maybe the first we've seen of bondage in Star Trek, perhaps. Hmm. So, well, yeah, maybe, maybe. Could maybe. be. Could yeah. be. Yeah. Got to say, though, that end of Act 4 very creepy reveal with dead Tamon. I, I thought about uh, that scene in the Royale in TNG where we oh, right. see the, the dead astronauts in there, but uh, mm-hmm. that was a good effect. I was feeling a little life force myself. You know, the, Ooh, the great 80s yes. movie with Steve Railsback. Yes, and Sir Patrick Stewart. Exactly. So yeah. a little Trek connection there. Oh, by the way, another connection to fandom. What is Harry going to do with that sonic screwdriver that he's holding <laughs> at the end? <laughs> there's, right. there's a lot here with the props. That mm-hmm. just kind of don't make. We don't know what these props do. We don't know what they are. This is a, some look very spacey, like that thing. Is it a weapon? Is it a tool? We uh, don't know. And right. you go from that to the giant number two pencils. We just we're, we're not really sure. <laughs> um, but I I do wonder like why as this is wrapping up like why the whole seduction game at all I mean these the the, the could literally just grab any passing male. DNA. Yeah. They they could just do this and just say, "Hey, we're going to denucleate this sucker." Too bad. We don't need to go through all the song and dance here, but maybe they maybe they do. That's a big that's a big word, denucleate. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. I'm going to it's a made-up word. I'm going to use it from now on. <laughs> I love the yeah. the uh, the ramming speed through the the Polaron uh, shield yes. effects for Voyager. Yes. I thought that was really good. The battle the sequence Very was good. Cool. Those effects were great. Uh, I did like, and you mentioned this in your recap, I like that Harry was talking about, you know, Odysseus's journey, you know, through the sirens and that challenge. I personally think that this was more of, you know, analogous to the Lotus Eaters, but that's just me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. They could have gone with that. Yeah. And and then, uh, okay, so Harry's looking for some validation at the end. So there's nothing, uh, nothing appeals to one's own insecurity 
of always being seen as a child as having, say, I don't know, your cheek pinched by, say, an older uncle like Neelix? Yeah. No, I've, I've never experienced that, Norman. I have no idea what you're talking about. Harry Kim understands that whether it's favorite son or fortunate son, you just have to keep saying to yourself, it ain't me. We'll get right back to favorite son after a word from this week's sponsor, Factor. You know what time it is, John? Uh, 4.30. It is 4.30, but in summertime. Ah, okay. Summertime. Yep. Yes. So it's summertime, and some of you might be looking for, I don't know, wholesome, convenient meals for those sunny, active days when you're out and about, walking around the beach, going to a pool, maybe going to a party. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door so you'll save time to eat and, well, stay on track reaching your fitness goals. Yeah, so look, I love to cook. I really do. But... I'm very busy, and I don't always have time to go shop and do the whole thing. Go to the grocery store and chop and prep and clean up and all of that stuff, and also ensure that I'm getting the nutritional quality that I want. Now, Factor, they have fresh, never-frozen meals, and they're ready in two minutes. That's it. So all you have to do is heat it up and enjoy and then get back outside. Do whatever you were doing out in that nice, warm, sunny weather. Now, if you're looking for different kinds of meals, they can accommodate you. Let's say you're looking for calorie-conscious options. Well, you can have delicious, dietitian-approved, calorie-smart meals. They have right around or less than 550 calories per serving. Let's say you need an extra boost to support your wellness goals this summer. Well, you could do Protein Plus meals that have 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And you could even kick it up a few notches. Let's say you're eating at home and you want to have a little upscale something. How about a surf and turf or uh, maybe a mm -hmm. surf and surf? I know, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, pair that with like roasted garlic filet mignon and shrimp and or maybe like a Cajun spice shrimp and salmon. This is all sounding really good to me. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that you brought this up, John. You said that they are dietitian approved and chef prepared. You can choose from 34 plus of these options, including ingredients such as broccolini, mm -hmm. leeks, mm -hmm. truffle butter, and yes. asparagus. And okay, folks, so sometimes when you hear lists like this, they make you hungry, and they're supposed to, because you can round <laughs> out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons, including breakfast items like their delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato, bacon, and egg breakfast skillet. Oh, I mean, that's I, a lot of bacon. I, I want all of these things, yes. <laughs> I love bacon. Or say if you're you know, focused on wellness options, they have refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. And if you are more of a protein fan, you can add more protein options like, say, a salmon filet or chicken wings to your factor meals to support all of your nutritional goals any time of the day. Oh, man. I, it, you know, Norman, you and I both tried our factor meals, and they were so good. They were indeed, as advertised, fresh, delicious, so convenient. And here's another aspect of it is let's talk about budget. 
If you need mm-hmm. to cut back a little bit on takeout, well, Factor can help you out there too because Factor is cheaper than takeout, but the meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery. Again, literally two minutes and you're sitting down to a nice healthy meal. And with Factor, you can rest assured that you are making a sustainable choice because they offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door. They source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and they feature a sustainably sourced seafood in all of their meals. Now, this June, you can get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door Ready in two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash missionlog50. That's the numbers five zero. And use code missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code missionlog50 at factormeals.com slash missionlog50 to get 50% off your first box. Can we talk about our friends the Nasiri for a moment Nasari. I think we should yeah okay yeah. <laughs> I, uh, first of all I, I like their makeup um, I thought the captain I, I thought that makeup was very effective um, and it is good that Janeway wants to go back and negotiate to talk to kind of work things out but I just have to wonder what is the Nasari experience with the Teresians because he says Captain Alban just says we just open fire on any Teresian we see. Like, like that, this is how it goes. Now, that means that they must have a very complex system to detect Teresian DNA at a distance to just see Harry Kim on board and just like, uh, we're, we're going to open fire. That, that's what happens. So they have a very complex system of that. And even then, it's not based on a lot of factual information. He just says, well, these are the rumors. People go there and they don't come out. Uh, okay, how does that affect you, Nasiri? Because apparently you're not the ones who are being taken in to the Teresians to be turned into uh, Teresian, you know, nuclear cell donors. Yeah. So uh, I feel like there's a lot of the story missing there. And on purpose, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we're not supposed to know very much, but it is just very strange to me. Like this guy just shows up and like, yeah, if we see anything that looks Teresian, we're just going to fire. That's what we do. I'm thinking, and you're right. This is uh, this isn't on screen. This is complete conjecture for off screen. Yeah, but I'm thinking that somewhere along the line, they they were able to uh, abscond with several Teresian males, you know, and maybe one of them escaped the planet and then reported back and say, "Hey, look, this is what's going on." And there's okay, we have to prevent this from happening because you know, in in due diligence and doing good service to this quadrant, we need to protect you know random spacefaring wayfarers, you know, before mm. they yeah. they get, you know, caught into the web of uh, these Teresian women, you know, who are obviously they're harnessing uh, these men for their DNA. Yeah. And again, it's uh it, it could have been like a 30 second conversation about why this captain is so bent, you know, on doing this and uh yeah, it's it's a strange loophole that's I think it adds, you know, asks more questions than provides answers. <laughs> it does indeed. And look, and sometimes that is fine. Like I don't feel like everything needs to be wrapped up totally neatly. Uh, you just need to get in the story, get get to the action, get to the, the conflict and the heart of it, and then get out. It mm-hmm. is just so interesting to me that this guy, there is a backstory there. Uh, yeah. We just definitely don't know about it. Um, 
there are other little points in the story here that kind of had me questioning, like the totality of Harry's actions here throughout, like how much of it is him in control? How much of it is the genetic expression of the Nasiri? Like it, it is a very interesting idea to play with that there is information that comes along with genetic expression, not just a physical attribute. Uh, and I thought it was a very effective scene with the doctor saying, well, look, it's like a human baby that knows to hold its breath in the water. Something like, like this is a very understandable, very tangible thing. And then this is a more sophisticated version of that where there's language involved, there's ritual involved, just all these little programs that are running to get somebody like Harry or whoever their next victim is to go along with what their culture demands. I thought that was very interesting stuff. But then I kind of started to ask myself, well, what else in this is Harry and what in this is the Theresean programming like when he's dreaming you know mm -hmm. you pointed out here's Harry having a dream that he's in bed with these two women he wakes up and there they are or the stuff with his mother was mm -hmm. that something that sophisticated in the uh, Theresean genetics to say access this memory of the mother and make her kind of create that rift with right. her son. You know, again, not necessarily questions that have to be answered, but it's interesting to play with in the context of the story to figure out how much is Harry, how much is something else. I wish that they they didn't uh, kind of. I didn't reference you know the Voyager episode you know when you know they were looking for the beryllium because yep. I wanted. I wanted the the Theresian DNA to go as far into the Alpha Quadrant as Earth, because oh really? I I felt that would have legitimized kind of Harry's, um, I guess his own preconceived notions of like who he was, you know, why his parents treated him so special, you know, and and created that self doubt that he was obviously suffering towards the end of this episode because I felt that this was very akin to say like the, the changeling sending out there like 100 children yeah. out in the universe to learn, adapt, grow, and then come back to the great link in order to educate them on what is out there. I was feeling that this is similar in some sense, but since the, the, the DNA recoding happened in the Delta quadrant, yeah. it felt like it felt like it didn't give Harry, I can I think the, the answers he was looking for as to why he felt a certain way on Earth. You know, that, that is one of the more interesting things here, which is uh, it's when Tamon is having that conversation with him. Like, did, did you excel at something? Like, yeah, music and math. And, and these were things that were in my head. Not like my family, because my family was tone deaf, but, but I excelled in these areas. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was cool because, well, if you're buying the story as it's being told to you, then, like you're saying, oh, th this is a really wild sci-fi construct that, yeah, they had gotten all the way to the Alpha Quadrant. And, you know, you're on the same page there with Garrett and Lisa Klink, which is, oh, no, 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 no. Let let's explore this alien thing to its fullest. Like, mm -hmm. we, we really are making Harry Kim an alien here. 
At the same time, though, I like the idea that this is his own kind of cognitive bias. It's like he's hearing what he wants to hear, and he's just filling in the gaps himself, which is also a very human thing to do. Taman is planting the seed unknowingly. He's planting the seed to say, oh, no, no, you, you excel at something. You're not like the others. And, of course, it's a very appealing thing to hear for well, for anybody, but especially a guy like uh, Harry. And I thought that that is the whole structure of how these things work. It, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the appeal in unity of the Borg and how – how they feel embraced by this lack of loneliness, this camaraderie, because they can hear each other's thoughts. And that's a very powerful draw. And now we have this whole other way to lure people into this cult-like environment. Of course, the men don't last too long in the cult. But but here's this whole other way to lure them in. And it's not just the sexual aspect. It's not just appealing to this kind of – you know, there's this very obvious desire, like Harry Kim, wow, he's, he wakes up with two women in bed with him. Great, good for you. But there's also this thing where it, it's this praise factor and this, this sort of making him special and making him buy his own specialness in there. And it's not to say that Harry isn't special, because he is. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a little unfortunate that there's this falsehood to the expression of that in this context. I'm just wondering what's causing like the self-doubt, you know, because mm-hmm. the entire time that we've known Harry so far, you know, his, his behavior has lent itself to, I want to achieve in order to show the people that I love, especially my parents, that they've sacrificed so I could be better. Now that I am better, I'm showing them through the devotion to my career and to honoring their sacrifice that I am the person that they raised me to be. So mm. I'm going to speak about this later on in Morals, Meetings, and Messages okay. because, again, it's, it's a very personal story to me. Yeah. But I'm just wondering where that self-doubt comes from because he has been praised for his efforts and he has been given the benefit of the doubt more times than I think that any other person on the ship for not – I wouldn't say like living up to the Starfleet code, but for maybe being kind of like put in positions where his his immaturity has gotten the better of him. And it's like Janeway gave him a pass on the bridge after firing on this ship. It's not like he immediately went into the, you know, into custody. She was like, I need to figure out what happened because obviously this isn't you. Yeah. And then don't even get me started on the whole. His mom (laughs) is uttering the words of Janeway in his dream. That analysis is something for a far more trained Starfleet counselor than I think even the EMH or even probably Troy could even handle because it was a projection of a mother figure projecting a mother figure, right? So where is that happening in his psychoses? Right. Uh, (laughs) Where is it happening? Uh, Well, (laughs) deeply, I guess. Yeah. Here's a strange thing also. I know this is completely from left field but it did harry in any way violate the eugenics accords whoa okay (laughs) lay it on me okay so if it is proven and i know that there's a resolution at the end but if it was proven that harry is or was in fact the offspring of genetic engineering even if alien as a starfleet officer is he in then violation of the eugenics accords 
I mean, think about it. When the closer Voyager got to Teresia, the more influenced Harry became, even violating protocols in order to destroy an alien ship on site. Yes. So that's, that's in and of itself genetic manipulation to the point where he endangered other beings. It could have been genetic manipulation to the point where he endangered himself, which he did, violating orders, or putting the ship at risk. So would that put him in violation of the eugenics accords? So interesting question. I mean, uh, Harry isn't responsible for, you know, again, this is why I brought that up. uh, But how much of this is Harry? How much of this is direct action taken by the instructions in that uh, in that Theresian DNA? Is this another one of those cases where, okay, he got infected with the virus. He didn't know that that was happening. He's not in control of certain aspects of himself. How much of this do you let slide? Because you can't necessarily put a finger on how much is him and how much is outside influence. I would say that maybe Harry has less responsibility here than, oh, I don't know, that EMH reprogramming his personality with the negative attributes <laughs> of fair. these great characters in history, you know? Mm-hmm. Look, we've pointed out so many times in Star Trek where you have a lead character that does something dangerous, that endangers other members of the crew, but then by the next week you just have to let it go and say, like, well, they weren't really responsible for it. We can't really punish them because that interrupts the flow of the show. So I guess not. You know, that's a great point that you bring up. And and to the credit of our Discord community during one of our After Darks, that this kind of this um, momentum has happened over the last three or four episodes where somebody, a major character, did some harm to mm-hmm. somebody, another major character. And then we just have to accept that as being the case since they, they were out of control of their own actions, out of control of their own decision-making process. But at the same time, though, they did do harm to other people in the process of being out of control. So, yeah. and, but the thing is that that's usually like spaced out over the course of a, of a season of the series. <laughs> right. We've seen like so back three episodes back. in a yeah. row. Yeah, Chakotay did it in Unity. Yeah. Yeah, and then Vorik did it to Balana, and Balana did it to Tom in Blood yeah. Fever. So, yeah. You know, there's mm. there's definitely a, a momentum going on here. I wonder what's going to happen in the next episode. All right, class. Pencils down. Let's find out what everyone has learned from this episode. Well, John, we have come to the end of Favorite Son. I hope we have found who that favorite son would be. But, you know, we haven't gotten to what we do here at the end of the episode, which is look at... Does this episode hold up? Does it withstand the test of time? And will we find any morals, meanings, or messages contained therein? So, favorite son. Do you have a favorite son in this, John? <laughs> I, I like to think that I am my parents' favorite son. I am their only son. But but by default, mm. uh, that would make me a favorite son. So I can relate to Harry that, here, for sure. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well. That makes you a champion, by yeah, the way. Well, that, that too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um I what what I like about this episode, uh, we got to make Harry the center of the story. That that that's cool, and we build a little air of mystery around what's going on with him. That was kind of cool too, and yeah, it may just be some more alien possession stuff happening with him. But he's good. I, I think Garrett carries that 
pretty well here. Then I asked myself, like, how much are we actually going to do to Harry Kim? Like, let's say we kill him and resurrect him. We kill him again and replace him. And <laughs> now he's got alien DNA possessing him. And, and that old meme that we had, you know, O'Brien must suffer. Well, now you got Harry Kim. So you know, mm-hmm. all that suffering, we can just layer on him. If I'm being generous, I feel like there's an element to this story that I appreciate because it feels like a throwback to like a 1950s pulp sci-fi story or movie. And, you know, Mm. the ones where you've got like the noble astronaut or explorer lured in by attractive women because a whole society needs to repopulate itself or some other contrivance. Because it's basically the, the conflict that's also the fantasy. Like, oh, no, a whole planet of women needs a man. But this one is dark and creepy, and he's just being yeah. used for parts. Like, like that. That's such a, mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah. It, it's this throwback kind of idea that is rife with all kinds of problems. But there are, you know, a lot of sci-fi stories, a lot of movies like that, a couple of generations ago. In the end, though, when you look at this episode on its own merits. And also as a slice of Voyager and the bigger story that Voyager is telling, I feel like it never quite comes together because it's never quite weird enough. It's never quite scary enough. It's not quite sexy enough. It feels like there were some interesting ideas that were being toyed with here, but they never quite gel. They just never quite make it into an episode that will, as we like to examine, Stand the test of time. I, I don't think this mm-hmm. is one that will. So what about you? I mean, I have to agree with you there. I, this is a no for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, the episode is messy. I don't think I've used that to describe an episode before, but I felt that everything – I think it doesn't come together because everything's so telegraphed. Mm. right? You, you can almost – from scene to scene or from act break to act break what you what you can expect because it's it's a pretty rote episode you know by the time we get to the Taman's death you're like oh well that was coming you know because right. you're literally like laying out almost strand for strand the web of seduction to the you know the vampiric flies or the mm. vampiric you know nature of uh, i'm sorry the spider and the fly analogy mm. with the trees and with the spiders and all of a sudden you're in the web yeah and then all of your whatever is going to be sucked out of you vampirically again. And that plays great to your analogy of the like 1950s pulp sci-fi story. Cause I think that's very apropos, but for a Star Trek episode, it just has very little cohesion to all these, these elements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the Star Trek audience, even at the time, you know, in the late 1990s, you know, you have a sophisticated audience that I think may have been watching this. You're like, okay, so what kind of a story are we telling here? And I have to bring this up because I think that this is probably the biggest issue of why this episode doesn't work. It's because of the the overt sexuality that literally takes you out of the seduction element of this episode. Mm. It doesn't work. It's overdone. It's forced. It's heavy-handed. In many ways, it's insulting, I think, to a sophisticated audience because you're watching it and you're like, okay, how many times do you have to see one's chest be rubbed? (laughs) How many times do you have to see one get a back rub? How many times do you have to see the deference of women to these two men in a scene? How many times do you have to see the tropes 
abused because it's supposed to tell and paint and set the tone for this layer of the Lotus Eaters or the siren song that Odysseus couldn't leave. You know that mm-hmm. we get that. You only have to do it once and do it well, because the more times you do it, the more obvious it is. Right. And I think that that was the problem with this. You can't, again, stuff grapes down the throat of Harry Kim, give him a back massage, give him a foot massage, and have him respond to it seductively like he's enjoying it when everything is so heavy-handed. And I think that that's where I'm like, you know what? I'm out. Yeah. You just lost me on this. Yeah. And I think the, the most critical thing I can say about this episode, if you skip it, it changes nothing. That's, for me, in a story, even with... Because Harry Kim's story is reset at the end of this no harm no foul dna chains no big deal we're just going to move on i think that if you don't watch this episode you would never know the difference and i think that that's my biggest problem with it uh but but do we learn anything from this episode like a a moral or a meaning or a message do we and i i i'm not convinced that we do (laughs) necessarily i mean look i i I appreciate the idea that Harry has to keep his wits about him to not just accept what's going on, and even in the face of great temptation. But wouldn't any of us question that if if that's what happened to us? I mean, not Space Chad, because he, he's just all in. He, he's ready. But we know that the clearer heads among us would size up the situation and go, uh, okay, there, there's something wrong here. I should probably look this particular gift horse directly in the mouth. I'm kind of amused by the casual acceptance of all of this new information. Like when, when, when the crew is first figuring out, and specifically the EMH and Janeway, when they're first figuring out what's happening here with this story, with the, the new alien DNA, it's like, oh, uh, Harry's an alien now, and everything we know about him was wrong. Well, let, let's just let him hang out on the weird sex planet for a while and just see if it's right for him. We don't want to get in his way. Uh, the, you know, there's there's like a, a a fun version of that that I I appreciate. But let's talk about Harry, poor Harry Kim. It, mm. it, is this the kind of validation that he needs? Like, has he truly not found himself yet in all the friends that he's made, the the serious stuff that he has gone through in the Delta Quadrant, like dying and coming back and dying and getting replaced? Like, he has had a rough time. Even think about going that that time that he went back to his girlfriend and I wait do do we even remember that he had a girlfriend? There's no mention of Libby in this at all at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm waiting for the episode where Harry needs to dig in deep to find some self confidence on his own. And like you just said in your uh, your wrap up a moment ago, you can skip this and not miss it. And and that's what's unfortunate, because I feel like there was an opportunity here for a message, something about Harry Kim being right with himself, finding himself in a situation like this, and he just doesn't. Where do we end? We end it with Harry Kim talking about, oh, Tom, I really look up to you and want to be more like you. <laughs> that's That did not ring right for me as a way to put a button on this episode because he's just been through some stuff yeah why are we ending it with that 
I don't know if that's the appropriate way to put the button on this, and I think it kind of undermines any ability to to find a true moral meaning or message out of this. But maybe you can change my mind on that. Well, I mean, it's interesting that it, even though I didn't like this episode a bit, actually a lot, mm. there is the scene at the end where Tom says, I don't see what's so bad about being you when he's talking to Harry. You're good at your job and everyone likes you. And Harry says, being likable is fine, but sometimes I wish I could be more or confident with women, more like you talking to Tom. Mm. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, what's so bad about being likable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of us strive just to be able to be likable, let alone be more than who we are. And maybe that's the point. Maybe it's perfectly fine to be just who you are for yourself and not for anyone else's happiness or expectations, you know, because we are who we are for a reason. And maybe Harry is not the right fit for him in the here and now in this episode. Maybe there's going to be a better version of Harry in the future. Maybe that's the Harry he's striving for, but you can't, you can't betray who you are now for the, who you're going to be in the future. And I think that that's something that maybe he's struggling with. And I think that he needs to find a little bit more of that, you know, acknowledgement and that confidence in himself because, and I want to take this more of like on a personal level, because for some reason they've done a great job in my opinion of actually mapping out Harry as a young Asian man, because in Asian culture in general, I'm using the words in general in air quotes. Mm. So forgive me if I speak out of turn to anybody, but in general, Asian men are raised to be first and foremost responsible, Hmm. right? Dependable. Mm -hmm. That's what Harry's saying. I don't want to be just responsible and dependable and like, I want to be more because if you aren't responsible or dependable, you bring shame to your family. And that's why he's worked so hard and why his parents have sacrificed so much and why he has to put on, you know, every single best foot forward so that any air of irresponsibility that was his fault would reflect directly on the people that sacrificed for him. And this is why I was so dismayed that they brought his mom into his, into his memories Mm. and these flashbacks of any kind of disappointment, because that is serious to Asian men. That is a very telling moment for Harry, and we went nowhere with that. So the way I saw it was Harry really needs to reconcile with who he is. Remember that scene that he had with Tom saying, like, I can pick my own friends in Caretaker and be in that moment. Be that best Harry Kim and not worry about who Harry Kim thinks he should be. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, before and after. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. Let's be fair to this episode, it could have been worse, it could have been giant cotton swabs instead of giant pencils.
transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.